you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. And I want to read the passage, and then I'll pray for us. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him, and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this privilege to be under your word. I pray that it would build us up, that we would be exposed and covered by the truth that we read and hear about today. God, open our ears, open our hearts, grant us grace so that your word would accomplish its purpose in our hearts. God, we need you. We cannot do this apart from you. So I pray, God, that you would be here ruling and reigning Completing the work that you started. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One reason why I trust the Bible, one reason why I enjoy the Bible, is because it's very honest. There's so many moments that I read the Bible and I think, wow, that's the ugly truth. Why did they have to provide that statement? That's almost too much information. I see so much darkness, so much evil, so much corruption, failure, sin. But for some reason that, when I read it, it helps me to see the Bible as trustworthy. Because if it didn't want to tell that information, it doesn't have to. And it's, for some reason, it's for me, it's easier for me to believe someone who tells the dark sides of their life than it is to believe somebody who gives that Facebook picture side, you know, that fake, maybe it's not fake, but it's just that good side, you know, that, that good image. For me, the Bible is not fluff. It's full of evil, darkness, and sin. And from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible has 
communicated that sin has caused corruption in this world. And the rest of the pages just spell it out. It just shows the ripple effect. But the Bible also shows that God is at work in redeeming this world. God is concerned in, uh, about fixing our broken world. And that's what this passage is about today. I'm excited to preach on it. Um, I was actually preparing a different sermon, but I came back to this text. I'm excited. And I'm hoping that as we read through this letter, you'll see that John is trying to create this dividing line between one group and another. What he's doing is trying to reveal who those people are and who he is, his group. And th these groups are marked by truth. One group is telling the truth. One group is lying about the truth. So John is trying to give that dividing line so you can see which group you belong to. So how does he do that? He uses a bunch of if-then statements. And as we look at these statements, the purpose is to clarify what the groups are, and then you're supposed to find yourself. Where do you belong? So, as we go through this text, you should be asking yourself, hmm, I wonder which category best relates to me. I wonder which group I'm best affiliated with. And by the end of the sermon, I'm hoping that we would figure out where we belong. So, I'm going to take each group one by one, and then I'm going to apply the passage a couple of different so, first group are the liars who deny sin. But even before we get there, John distinguishes the groups, these liars who deny sin, and those who confess their sin. But before he gets there, he says, this is the message we have heard from you and proclaimed to you. And what is the message? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So first note, John is trying to make clear that the message that he is giving, he received it. It's not original to him. Where did it come from? I think it came from the very mouth of Jesus. Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, John, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, John is saying, this message that I'm telling you, I didn't make it up. It's something I received, and now I'm proclaiming to you. Second thing to figure out in this passage is that God is light. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? I think at least two things can be said. First, light throughout scripture is kind of often used to refer to that which is holy or that which is right and true. So if when John says that God is light, he's essentially saying God is true, God is holy, God is right. And as he talks about this light, we're supposed to get an image in our minds. I think one image that comes to my mind is 
something that is revelatory, something that reveals reality. That's what light does. You know, you light a candle and you can see the light, but then it also reveals what else is in the room, right? So when John says God is light, he's saying God is true, and it also exposes darkness around it. And that's what God does. That's what truth does. It overcomes the darkness. It, it communicates a reality. It helps you to see light as it is. So John, John's point is God is light, but in verse 6, John says this. If we see, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here's that first if-then statement. Again, we're supposed to be tracing these if-then statements to see where do I fall? Which group do I belong to? There are people who are saying that they have fellowship with God, with light, but for some reason they're walking in darkness. That expression, walking in darkness, is such a good image. It's used throughout scripture to refer to foolish living. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 14, or forsaking the path of uprightness, Proverbs 2, 13. But in Psalm 82, verse 5, the psalmist describes someone who walks in darkness as one who has neither knowledge or understanding. So what John is saying is, those who walk in darkness lie if they say they have fellowship with God because he is light. God reveals what is true, God reveals what is right, God reveals what is pure and holy. So if you are not walking in that reality, then you must not be in fellowship with God. If my life is marked by a reality that's in darkness, a reality that's apart from this truth, then I must not have fellowship with God. And this is why John's image is so helpful. Because if I'm in a dark room and I'm bumping into things, I can't see what I'm looking for, then obviously, the obvious conclusion is I don't have light. I can't see. That's why walking in darkness is so counter to walking in the light, having fellowship with the light. The if-then statement continues in verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says something similar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We blaspheme God and declare God to be a liar. Why? Because God has revealed that we all have sinned. So if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. So what does it mean to not have sinned? Verse 8. Most likely it means that we are not sinful. Well, in verse 10, it's referring to committing sins. So overall, like verse 6 is saying, I deny that sin separates me from having fellowship with God. While verse 8 and 10 are denying that there is sin in my heart at all. There's like a perfectionism there. Like, yeah, I've been so transformed by God that I don't sin anymore. Later in this letter, John describes sin as lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4. It's a matter of rebelling against God's will. And when I was in college, I discovered that I could download movies off the internet. 
So I, I did that for a season. But then I took it beyond that because I went to my cousin's house and he had like a 200 disc DVD player and a booklet that corresponded to the numbers on the DVD player. So you could like look at the booklet and say, oh, I wanna watch number 86. Type in 86, it would go to that DVD. And I was like, how'd you get so many DVDs? Like, what's going on? Then I found out that he copied them. He would get them delivered via Netflix, copy them, send them back, and get some more. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. So <laughs> I started doing it. I started doing it. Well, why pay money? Like, you're, you're renting a DVD, you gotta return it. I wanna keep it. It's a good movie. So I copied them. I copied a lot. I had, a, I had stacks of DVDs. To Minnesota. And I was living with a group of guys while I was in seminary. And I was just like showing off, like, yo, here's my DVDs. And one of my roommates, Ryan Shelton, he said, You know that's illegal, right? Of course. <laughs> I know it's illegal. Like, there's that big green thing that says, it's illegal, we can find you lots of money. I knew, I knew. I didn't care. I didn't. I'd rather have my DVDs than care about some arbitrary law. That's lawlessness. That's what sin is. When we see God's law, and say, I don't care. What's the big deal? I'd rather do what I want than do what God wants. And that's what sin is. That's the ugly reality of sin. And we might not feel its ugliness because we don't have a concept of the holiness of God, but sin is lawlessness. And if we say that we're walking with God, then it's weird if we have a life of sin. It's weird if sin is what marks our life. And it's weird if we say we have not sinned, or we have no sin, because we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. That's what scripture teaches, it's clear. We all have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. So if you put these three verses together, John is saying, anyone who believes this about sin is lying. Anyone who denies that sin breaks our relationship, our fellowship with God is lying. Anyone who says they have not sinned is lying. Anyone who says they don't have sin is lying. So then the question is, what do we say in our life about us? G.K. Chesterton said that the doctrine of original sin is the only doctrine that doesn't need to be defended. What he meant by that is we see sin all the time. Like, it's all the time, all around us. We read about it in history books. We see it in the people around us. And if, by God's grace, he gives us light, we can see it in our own hearts. 
And that's what light does. It exposes us. So if we walk with God, we will see sin in our own hearts because God is holy and we are not. And the tragedy is, you know, some people actually don't see their sin. They see the sins of other people, maybe, but they don't even see their own sin. But if you see your sin, it's not just a matter of seeing it. It's how you respond to it. Because some of us, we minimize our sin. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. We might shift the blame, you know, like, it's my wife who makes me sin a lot. It's my friend. It's my, my childhood. My parents raised me this way. That's why I do this thing. Or we might cover ourselves with good things, like, oh, if I give to the poor, then maybe that'll cover what I did yesterday. And worse, we can just ignore it. It's not that big of a deal, so I don't need to worry about it. One pastor, he helped me to understand how problematic my sin was when he said, how would I feel if somebody were to take my life and my thoughts and record it and then play it for people in a room like this. Like, how would I feel if all my thoughts were available for you to see? Like, I probably would go crazy because I know what goes through my mind. I know what goes through my heart. And that's not even my, my actions, just my thoughts. What if he included my actions? Like what I did, that would be crazy. Like I probably would fight somebody to stop that tape from being played. And that's what sin does. It reveals the ugliness in our hearts. It reveals who we really are. So how do we respond to it? when we see ourselves for who we really are? That's, that's the question. And John is saying that we ought to confess our sin. Verse 9, it's probably one of the most memorable verses in this section because it contains one of the most precious promises available to Christians. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, like we can say that we have no sin, like the liars, or we can say that we do have sin, and we can confess it. What is confession? Confession is just like this word in Greek, just like a compound word. It just means the same and to say. So we just stuck those words together. The same is the same. So we're, we're saying the same thing. We are saying what is true and just agreeing with that. It's like, it's not like telling God something he doesn't already know. It's just agreeing with God about what is already known. That's why this word confession is really interesting. He's saying, if you confess your sin, meaning if you say this is sin, this is sin, God. I see it as sin. I see it as lawlessness. He is faithful and just to forgive me. And why is confession so important? It 
because those who confess, and this is the main point here, those who confess are the only ones who can be forgiven. That's the relationship. If you confess, then you can be forgiven. If you don't confess, you cannot be forgiven. Verse 9 says that God is faithful because he is true to his promise to forgive. And God is just because he has made a way for those who confess their sins to be forgiven. He has provided Christ as a substitute. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that those who confess their sins can be forgiven and set free from the penalty of their sin. He's just because when he punishes Christ for us, he doesn't punish us for that same crime. Justice has been served. And there are a lot of different professions in life where you have to be clean in order to heal, you know, like surgery. You have to be a clean surgeon, a clean nurse in order to get into the room. You are not clean, they will probably not let you in. You have to clean yourself. You have to be scrubbed in. You have to scrub out. You have to scrub in so you can get into the room. Confession is like that. Confession is me admitting that I am sinful, I need help, I have a lot of ugly things in my life. And God saying, I will forgive you and cleanse you so that you can have fellowship with me. If you don't have that cleansing, if you don't have that forgiveness, there's no fellowship with God. He's holy. He doesn't have darkness in him. So I need to be clean if I want to have, a fe if I want to have fellowship with God. This is what verse 7 says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship is made possible on a horizontal level and a vertical level. Like there's a relationship that I have with other people who are clean and I have a relationship with God who is clean. This is why we celebrate death of Jesus Christ. We celebrate him because he who was sinless came and died for those who were sinful. Like we actually just sang a song about it. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. See, confessors confess their sins. They aren't lying about their sins. But more importantly, they are receiving something because of that confession. They're receiving fellowship. They're receiving forgiveness. They're receiving cleansing. They're receiving Jesus as the one who makes it all possible. So who is it that has fellowship with God? It's those who don't deny their sin, but instead confess their sin. And in verse 1, chapter 2, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Meaning, I don't want you to sin. Sin is a big deal. I know you will sin. I know you have struggles with sin, but I don't want you to sin. I want you to know 
that sin is evil, it's lawlessness. But, he continues, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation. It's like a fancy word that just means he absorbs the wrath of God. He's the propitiation, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anyone who places their faith in Christ will receive this forgiveness. So John wants to be clear that those who confess their sins receive Jesus, receive forgiveness, and those who don't, I think, you know, this is a really interesting passage for me because confession is what the heart does when it sees that the problem is outside of itself, or the problem is inside itself, not outside itself. Like confession kind of makes you the guilty party. It exposes you. It means that you are the one who deserves punishment. I mean, I'm not, I'm not boasting about this, but I like to drive very fast. And when I drive very fast, um, usually I don't get pulled over. But then some days I get pulled over. Like January 1st, I got pulled over. It's two in the morning. I was coming back from this gathering at Pastor Jones' house. And it's that same street. Like, the last time I got talked about being pulled over, it's that same street. It's that same street. And it's like, it's weird because, you know, it's coming right off the highway. And it's about to go into a 35, but it's 30. And I usually go like 40. I'm just confessing, okay? So, you know, I'm driving this direction. The officer is coming in this direction. And then they do this loop, and then they're following me. And I'm like, oh, come on. Please, please don't be me. Please don't be me. It's me. Lights flashing. It's me. I don't know where I learned this from. But I think somebody taught me this. If an officer knocks on your door, hey, you know why I pulled you over? What are you supposed to say? No, I don't know why. I don't, like, technically, there's like a thousand laws that I could be breaking, but I don't know why. That's, that's how I think. So I'm like, just deny, 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 deny. Oh, what, no, what, what's happening? What's going on? Well, you were going 41, and the speed limit is 30. Oh, wow, okay. So then, they want to get my license and stuff. And I, could, I must have a clean driving record, because they usually take my license. Give it back to me and says, Well, okay, you can go. Just slow down. That's the way it breaks. <laughs> because I broke the law. I break the law. But imagine they come up to the car. Do you know why we pulled you over? Yes, I was speeding. I love to speed. I always speed on this road. <laughs> I love, I'm in love with speeding. I'm in love with driving fast. Like what other laws do you have? Because I probably broke them. Like, oh, is my license expired? Let's find out. Here, like, that's what confession is. That's 
what confession is. Now, what's going to happen to me after I confess? That's the question. I might get arrested, I might get ticketed, I might get my car impounded or whatever, but confession looks like, yeah, I did it. I did it. I can't hide behind my good driving record from last week. I'm breaking the law today. That's what confession is. And that's what John is calling his readers to do. Confession, he's saying, should be the norm of the Christian life. And I know this is not easy. I know confession is not easy. But he's saying this should be the norm. You should confess your sins because God is faithful and just to forgive you. So the question that we can ask ourselves is, are we convinced that the brokenness of this world is related to sin? And furthermore, are we convinced that the sickness is inside of us? Not just like those people over there, that political party, that ethnic group, that group, or whatever. Like, it's inside of us, like inside of you, inside of me. Are we convinced that Jesus is the only solution? That apart from him, there is no cleansing. But this is my role, I think, as a pastor. I'm supposed to, just like a good doctor would, I'm supposed to like expose the sickness. But I'm supposed to actually get out the way so that the real doctor can come and provide the solution. So I want to apply this passage in two different ways. Um, first is corporately. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, sin demands to have a man by himself. What he's saying is sin always isolates. So if you're in a group of people, the natural thing for a group of people is to be isolated in some way because sin in our hearts divides us. It makes us concerned more about ourselves than the other person. And I was thinking about this in the local church. How, how can we corporately apply this passage? I think one thing to think through is the fact that everybody in this room, I'm convinced, I don't know about you, but everybody in this room has sin in their heart. I believe that, like without a shadow of a doubt. So if you come to me, there's, there's like a presupposition. Like whatever you're gonna say, you have sin. I have sin. Like that's how you should read me. You shouldn't read me as a pastor, like, oh, he's somebody who's really special, he's got it all together. No, I have sin. We all have sin. So how we relate to one another is really important. We should be showing so much grace to one another because we all need it. Apart from God's grace, we are broken people with no hope. So yes, we can rebuke and warn people about their sin, but there should also be a, a sense of grace towards one another, like a, a mutual understanding. I was thinking about this, like, you know, when 
cancer patients are going through chemotherapy, what do people do in response? <coughs> Some of the close friends, they will shake their heads. Why? They're, they're trying to say, I identify with you. I don't want you to go through this alone. I don't want you to go through this sickness, this process, this hairlessness alone. So I'm going to identify with you. And that's what sin does. It isolates us, but God is able to pull us together. He's able to draw us together. We can identify with one another and say, my problem is just like yours. God gives us the ability to relate with one another. And we can even forgive like God does. That's a baffling thing, that God enables us to forgive in the same way that he does. It might be difficult, it might take time, but when someone sins against us, we can forgive them. That's what the gospel does. It enables us to forgive. So that's how we should be applying this corporately. We should be asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a sinner in a room full of other sinners? I want to be one who shows grace. I want to be one who forgives because I've received that. I've received that grace so I can give it. I've received forgiveness so I can give it. And just, just one word about sharing, confessing our sin. Like, I've thought long and hard about this point, but I know that there are different comfort levels in sharing about one's own life. I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. Like, I, I, I know, Skiba had told me, yeah, you know, some people don't like to share a lot. Okay, okay, I'm trying to believe you, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to believe that there are different levels in how people share. And there are probably cultural considerations in this whole thing. But I just wanted to make the record plain that it is helpful when people share that they're going through difficulty or share about their sin because there are other people who might be going through difficulty, might be struggling with sin, who feel alone, who feel isolated, and need that help, need to be reminded, oh, this is good. People um, are able to identify with my struggles. I was thinking, like, if everybody is wearing masks, it makes you feel like you should be wearing a mask too. But when people can take off their masks and be open and honest, it helps. It helps me not to want to put on a mask. And again, true fellowship is a hard thing. It's complicated. But this is what God is creating. He's establishing unity amongst diversity. Second way I want to apply this passage is individualism. I think sometimes when I read this passage, I'm thinking, oh, God is just concerned about my sin. God, that's all he's focused on. He forgives it, but like, I have to confess my sin. Oh, like, man, this is, who is this God who just wants to hear about my sin? Um, but God is someone who wants to hear so much more. 
to try to apply it. Um, you've got to follow me, hopefully it makes sense. But a friend of mine was working on a PhD on Augustine, and he sent me quotes from time to time. This one he sent me, it's been in my mind, I can't get it out. I just want to read it. It says, so when were things ever going well for the human race? When was there ever no fear, no greed? When was there ever assured happiness, ever not real unhappiness? If you haven't got something, you're in a sweat to get a hold of it. Have you got it? You're shaking with fear of losing it. Are you to marry a wife? If she's a bad one, it will be your punishment. If she's a good one, oh dear, oh dear, suppose she were to die. Children not born torment you with disappointment. Children born torment you with all sorts of fears. What joy a newborn child brings to people, and immediately they are all fearful. They may be mourning it as they carry it out for a burial. And this is the question that is stuck in my mind. It says, when or where will life ever be secure? There are a number of things that made this week especially difficult for me. Um, but this quote reminds me that's, that's life. Like that's the hardness of life. There are so many pleasures to be had, but then there's difficulty, there's pain, there's suffering. And as I was thinking through this week, I was led to a psalm. The psalms are good because they communicate how people relate to God. You know, they're psalms of confession. I acknowledge my sins to you. Don't cover my iniquity, like Psalm 32. But then there are psalms that catch my attention, like Psalm 142. It says, verse 2, I pour out my complaint before you. I tell my trouble before him. Verse 6, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Whenever I read these verses, I'm, I'm fascinated that David is able to complain before God. He's not just confessing his sin. He's confessing his complaints. He feels safe enough to do that. Or verse 6, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital, but they have like these buzzers and pagers that you can use to contact the nurse. Like you just want a glass of water. But the nurse comes. Suddenly, that glass of water that you wanted is the nurse's problem. That's what David says that God should be doing for him. Whatever David is going through should become God's problem. God should become David's servant. God should become David's help. And the crazy thing is God is willing and able to do that. No matter what we're going through in this life, no matter what challenges we face, no matter what suffering we endure, God is willing to hear us, to hear our confessions of help, our confessions of complaint, our confessions of need, in addition to our confessions of sin. And he responds. He's willing and able to respond to our needs. So we should confess these things. We shouldn't hide them like, oh, God, 
as though he doesn't already know. We should confess. God, you know my heart. You know right now I don't like what's going on. So help me. If this life were easy, have all these different doubts and fears and concerns, but we have them because life is hard. And when we face these hard things, God has graciously given us the church and he's given us himself. And sometimes we might not even want to share with the people around us, but we can go to God. We must go to God. We must confess our hearts to the one who loves and is able to deal with it. also thinking like scripture says that one day God will comprehensively decisively deal with sin permanently he will fully set his people free from that sin all pain, all hurt all wrong will be finished and in Revelation it says he will wipe away every tear from their eye and I was thinking like you gotta be really close to somebody no, like if somebody's across the room, you can't wipe away their tears. But not just physically, but relationally. When's the last time somebody was able to cry in front of you? When's the last time you were able to wipe their tear from your eye? You know, if you don't have a good relationship with them, you can't do that. It's weird. But it says God will wipe away every tear from our eye. Meaning he will have such fellowship with us. He will be so close to us that he will be wiping the tears from our eyes and we will never cry again. I'll conclude this way. Confession is hard, but it's necessary. Confession of sin is hard, but it's necessary in order to receive forgiveness. A holy God makes fellowship possible when he forgives confessed sin. Not denied sin, but confessed sin. And he does it through Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom, as a payment, as a substitute for those who were sinful. To be fully known fully loved by a God who knows all and is, and is perfectly good is scary unless your sins are covered. And that can be done through Christ. So now, after all these dead statements, the question is, which group do we belong to? Formally, maybe none of us say, I don't have any sin. Functionally, you might say that. You might live that way. But which group do we belong to? Are our sins covered and forgiven? Or are we denying them? The only sins that can be forgiven are confessed sins. And that's the beautiful news of gospel. That our sins can be forgiven because of Jesus. So, 
a church, let's be a church that confesses our sins to God. Let's be a church that deals with our sins, that hates our sins, that fights our sins, because we know what it costs Jesus. We know what it costs him. And if we're not a Christian in this room, let's, let's acknowledge our sin. Let's pray that God would help us to see, like, is it really sin in my heart? I don't believe it. Pray. Talk to somebody so that we can see the sin in our heart and see the need for that confession. We have hope for our sins. We do. But it's only available to those who confess it. Who confess their sins. Let's pray together.